Good to be with you today on the last Sunday of the year. I've just been asked if we just spent a moment in prayer for Brent, who's been admitted to hospital uh, with a severe chest infection. So we could just lift Brent together to the Lord. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for Brent and family, and we thank you for the joy he brings to us here. And we pray for him now as he's been taken to hospital and we pray that you'll be with him and that those who care for him may be guided in the treatment that they will give him. I ask that you will strengthen him and in your goodness restore him to us. So we commit him tenderly to you this morning and the family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, our reading this morning is in the early chapters of the Book of Revelation. I've already been asked why I was just going to read this one section from Revelation at this particular point in time, but uh, it may become evident during the message. If not, have a chat with me afterwards, and we'll see where we go with it. But Revelation chapter three, and we're going to read from verse seven. Revelation chapter three, and we read from verse seven. To the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. You you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write in him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write in him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These seven churches that come at the beginning of the book of Revelation are really a key to an understanding of what the book is about because though it is mysterious in many ways and full of all sorts of symbols and pictures, it is ultimately the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about you and I understanding the majesty of his person, about the reality of the things that are yet to be, and an awareness, to have an awareness from day to day of his immediacy as far as the life of the church is concerned. And these seven churches, chosen particularly from Asia Minor, are churches which came into being during the latter part of the first century. It's interesting that Philadelphia itself, this city of brotherly love, you'll recognize there is a similar city in um, United States, 
which was named after the original Quaker founders, and it's called the City of Brotherly Love for that reason. This city here in Asia had just been formed about two centuries before this particular letter, letter is written, just at the end of the second century BC. And immediately on the proclamation of the message of Jesus, a church was established there. So that this message, which was penned by the Apostle John during the revelation of Jesus, he was given on the Isle of Patmos, was directed very specifically to the church at Philadelphia. The other six I'll let you look at in your own time. Please don't do it just now while I preach. But if you have a look at them, you'll see that to each of them, there's a particular emphasis of the person of Christ given to them. To each of the churches, there's a particular element which relates to the revelation of the Lord Jesus to that specific church. And then as you go through the book of Revelation, you'll discover that a lot of the phrases that are used to the churches are used in a wider context in the later chapters of Revelation. And I believe it's one of the clues to interpret the book aright, to recognize that the revelation which is given to the churches is sustained by the revelation that is given to the church through the Apostle John from chapter 4 onwards. I would suggest to you, I know many people don't read the book of Revelation because they think it's hard to understand, and it is. But it's a real blessing to read it because if you just read it through quickly, and it won't take you that long, you'll discover that there are little phrases that stick in your mind which will be a blessing and encouragement to you from day to day. And then if you read it again, you'll find there are more phrases stick in your mind which will be a further blessing to you from day to day. And that's why the Apostle John, under the direction of the Spirit of God, says, you'd be blessed if you read this book. It applies, of course, to the whole Scripture, but particularly, perhaps, to the book of Revelation. And you'll notice in verse 7, and I know that Hazel will stay with us on this, that the first statement we have uh, is a sort of threefold revelation of the Lord Jesus to this particular church in Philadelphia. And it talks about him, first of all, in relation to his character, and then in relation to his integrity, and then in relation to his sovereignty. And as I said earlier, the whole of the book of Revelation is about that. It's about a portrayal of the character of Christ, the integrity of Christ, and his sovereignty, and perhaps particularly that in the book. So these are the words of him who is holy and true. I know that whatever Steve was leading the earlier part of the service, he didn't choose his texts at random. And he began with that little phrase which the Lord Jesus used to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's ironic whenever Pilate is questioning Christ at his trial that being a politician... He says to Christ, what is truth? I think if you ask more of most of our politicians today the same question, they would struggle with an answer. Because ultimately truth is about revelation. Truth is about that which is substantive and provable. And that which is revealed of the Lord Jesus is always that. You can always prove 
that what he says is true. And he can always recognize that the integrity of his person is such that he's absolutely trustworthy. You know, whenever we come to Christ, we're actually reflecting upon his character, that he's holy and true, and that he is the one who, whenever you approach him, you can absolutely trust what he says. But you'll notice that it has this peculiar phrase in it, who holds the key of David, who holds the key of David. I'm going to read you a little phrase from the prophecy of Isaiah. And it's in chapter 22, and it's verse 22. If you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to it. It's one of those easy references to remember. Isaiah 22, 22. And this is what the Lord says in relation to what was happening in Israel at that time, or would happen in Israel in the future. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And that's directed to the Lord's servant at this time, a character called Eliakim, who was son of Hilkiah. But there's a little clue there as to what this phrase in the book of Revelation means, the key of David. It is something which is available to be used in order to open a way forward. Now, if we go back to Revelation 3, you'll notice that the Scripture says this. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Because of his sovereignty, because he is who he is, because he's the one who's in control of government, it was one of the phrases that was used in our prayer time before the service this morning, that the governments of the earth need to recognize that there's one who is in ultimate control and one who is working out his purpose in human history and one in which you and I trust and one in which you and I will recognize increasingly that he is the one who is working out the future for humanity in the glory of the Lord Jesus. And one day, every eye shall see him And one day every knee shall bow. And one day every voice will acknowledge that he is Lord, that he is sovereign to the glory of God the Father. It's part of the package. And if you read the book of Revelation, you'll discover one great great fact. You'll discover, you read this book, that we win in the end. Yeah. The future is absolutely secure. Just as secure as your faith in Christ makes you as far as salvation here and now is concerned and salvation in the future, so the wider purpose of Christ will be fulfilled in your life ongoingly. All we need to do is trust him. But when it says here, behold, I have set before you, I'll probably quote from the authorized version because I I learned it and and that. Behold, I set before you an open door. What does that mean? Well, it surely means initially this is a door of opportunity. If Christ opens a door for us in our living, it must be an opportunity for us to serve him. And I can remember when I first started preaching, and I've shared this story before, it was one of my uncles 
And he asked me if I would go to a little church about six miles from where we lived <laughs> and if I would just open the service for him and uh, then say something just very briefly before I handed over the rest of the service for him to preach. And I said to him, do you want me to preach? And he said, well, you could try. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll do the hymn and the prayer and the hymn because that was the sort of pattern of the particular services at that time. And then I'll do the reading, and then I'll do a preach. And he said, will you do that for three Sundays? And I said, yes, I'll do it for three Sundays. So I thought to myself, I better prepare. So I read Luke 15 a number of times, and I thought to myself, I can can preach a bit about the lost coin, I can preach about the lost sheep, and I can preach about the lost son. So it seemed to me to be very brilliant, being a 14-year-old. So the service started, and I gave out a long hymn. And I prayed, started at 7 o'clock, gave out another hymn, did the reading, just the first part of Luke 15. And having started at 7 o'clock and preached, I sat down at 12 minutes past (laughs) 7. And I didn't just preach the first phrase or two from Luke 15. I preached all of Luke 15 in that time. Unbelievable, isn't it? You probably feel that. And... uh, you know, I said to my uncle on the way home on that first Sunday night when I had preached, never again. Never again. And he was driving and he sort of turned to me and he said, you know, you said one or two things tonight that I'd never thought of in Luke 15. And I said, you're joking. Literally, I can't. He said, you promised me you'd do another two Sundays. I'm not going back. You promised me you'd do another two Sundays. And that's where it all started. I set before you an open door. No idea 60 years ago. Just had my 74th birthday. Thank you for your good wishes. But I just had my 74th birthday. And I was thinking a lot about this phrase, have been for the last six or seven weeks. An open door. What are you going to do with it? The door of opportunity that the Lord has opened to you. All sorts of possibilities in this little church this morning. Each of us responsible to the Lord for what we do with the opportunities that he presents to us. But it's also an open door into his presence. One of the things that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus achieves for you and I as Christians is that you and I can come before the Lord any time. And when we pray to him, we pray to him with an awareness that he hears what we say. Not because we're special, quite the opposite, because we're sinners. Whenever they publican came before, you remember the story the Lord Jesus told, whenever the publican came before the Lord, the tax collector, he cried out to the Lord, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And that was all he needed to pray. And the Lord Jesus said of him that he went down to his house justified. <coughs> and, and that's really what this whole business is about. You know, we read the scriptures, we're in the last book of the Bible here, as far as our structure of scripture is concerned. And it's really a resume of what has been 
and what will be. And you and I are, are brought into the center of this revelation. And the word of God to you and me this morning is, look, I have set before you an open door. He has made a way into the presence of God. You, you don't have to go to the door of a temple of the sacrifice. You don't have to go to a church to meet a priest. You and I have been given an open door into the immediacy of the presence of God. We, we, we come to him. I mean, it, it is so amazing that we can come to the God of glory in our rags and just open our heart to him. Say, this is, this is what's going on in my life, Lord. But you know that anyway. You know, you never have to pretend with this God because he knows all about us. Knows our thinking before we thought. Knows our sitting down before we stood up, as the Scripture teaches it. And we're brought into this remarkable perspective where the Lord says to this church in Philadelphia, He says, Listen, I have set before you an open door. It's an open door to glory, because that's where He's taking us. And one day, you're going to be with the Lord, with all those who have gone before, and see him in his glory. We have a little perspective of it. We get little glimpses of it here and now. You know, you see a glorious sunset, and that's an apt name for it, because the heavens declare the glory of God. And you see the glory of a sunset, and you think to yourself, that's remarkable. Never seen those colors before, and I've lived a long time. But it's, it's what it is. And it's just a picture of what is yet to be. To, to have the, the ongoing revelation of the majesty of his, of his presence. You know, you read the, the early chapters of the book of Revelation. And you discover that the throne of God is, is in the heavens. And you discover it's surrounded by colors like a rainbow. And you discover when John's talking about it, you begin to get these pictures in your own mind of the vision which he had. And you think to yourself, someday, someday I'm going to see it. But someday I'm going to see Christ in all his glory. An open door. And you think to yourself, well, surely that can't be, that can't be for me. But you notice the next phrase, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. And because he knows our deeds, it is up to him to open the door for further deeds. You know, I, I wanted to be Billy Graham when I was 15. I'd heard him preach once or twice. And I thought to myself, I'd, I'd really love to preach like Billy Graham. God in his mercy didn't make me Billy Graham, he made me Peter Glasgow. He doesn't want us to be what we're not. He wants us to be what he will make us. Whenever the Lord called his disciples, you remember, he said to them in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Not you will become fishers of men, but if you follow me, I will make you 
And to each of his disciples, that was the message. I will make you fishers of men. And you and I, in his mercy, because he knows our deeds and, and he knows the sort of people that we are, he says effectively to us, be what I make you. Don't try to be what I'm not making you. I know a whole lot of Christians who don't do anything because they feel they can't. And that's exactly the wrong way round. The reason we don't do anything is because we don't recognize what the Lord would have us do. And if we do what the Lord would have us do, he'll bless it. When we try to do something for him, which is not of his making or not of his setting, then the wheels come off and we get really discouraged and we think, I'm not going to do that again. That's probably a good thing because we'll keep on making a mess of it. But if the Lord gives us a job to do, as the scripture says elsewhere, let's do it with all our might and do whatever he is that that he sets before us. And as sure as you sit there and I'm standing here, something will arise this week. And if we're in touch with the Lord, we'll recognize that's what he wants me to do this week. Don't be looking for a blueprint for the rest of your life because you won't get it. Because if you had a blueprint for the rest of your life, you wouldn't have to trust him, would you? You can say, oh, well, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. But that's not the way this life works. And really what I, I'm trying, and I trust with the Lord's help this morning to just set in front of us, is the realm of possibility. To recognize that he's got a, you know, I know you quite well. I don't know you nearly as well as the Lord knows you. But I know for sure that if you walk with the Lord in this coming year, he will keep on setting things in front of you that he's got for you to do. And he's already prepared for you those things. When you get home, read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And then come back the next time I'm here at the end of next month, God willing, and say, oh, well, I don't have a job to do. Because there's one thing Ephesians 2.10 makes absolutely clear. We all have a job to do. And, you know, this, this is our calling, my brothers and sisters. As I mentioned earlier, I'm getting older. I don't like acknowledging it, but, you know, my kids keep telling me. In fact, I have one of my girls who calls me old man all the time. She's been doing that for the last 40 years, mind you. But, you know, it's just part of the way it is. The reality is that, The Lord knows. So he sets before us this open door, and you'll notice the next phrase. I know that you have little strength. What does that mean? He knows we're weak. It's a polite way of saying it. He knows we're weak. But I can't use my weakness as an excuse for not going through the open door. Because he knows he's got little strength. But he still sits in front of us an open door. But you have kept my words. And you haven't denied me. Now I know there are times in our lives when we come under pressure. And we do in a sense deny him. And we say, oh, you know, I don't really know him. He's not part of my life at the minute. No, I thought you were a Christian. Well, no, not really. But he knows when we're like that. And the beauty of the Lord Jesus is he doesn't discard us. You know, whenever Peter denied the Lord, he must have thought his 
his life was gone. And you remember he denied the Lord three times before dawn on that particular morning, the day of the Lord's crucifixion. And the scripture says that after he denied the Lord three times, he went out and he wept bitterly. And I'm sure he was weeping because he's thinking to himself, I've blown it. You know, I thought I was so strong in Christ, but I wasn't. And when the Lord meets him on the shores of Galilee after the resurrection, he takes him aside and he says to him three times, Peter, do you love me? And he gives him a chance to restore the denial, having denied him three times. The Lord says to him, do you love me? And Peter says this to him at the close of that conversation. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yes, a few days ago I blew it. But you know that deep in my heart, I love you. And you'll notice that that's connected here in these verses with this business of of keeping his word. And the word there doesn't mean that um, we have a series of commands we write out for ourselves every morning and we say, I have to keep that commandment. That's not what it means. It, It means in the sense of keeping it. Now, I know that some of us men, and maybe most of us ladies, have got things that we keep safe. One of the things that my wife keeps safe, and if she was here, she would acknowledge it, is her purse. I can't get into it. (laughs) You know, she just keeps it safe. That's the word that's used here. It means to keep it close to our heart, so that we live out the word that we say we believe. So that it's actually expressed through our being because we're keeping it close and holding it in our hearts. I was once asked years ago to preach on Psalm 119. Not all at once, not, not all 153 verses, but just to preach on Psalm 119. And there's a little phrase in there, and you'll remember it. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the word that's here. You have kept my word. You have hid it in your heart in order that you might live out for me. You've been loyal to my name. You haven't denied my name. I'm going to close there. I have much more to say, but it's a quarter to twelve. I really want just to, if I may, re-emphasize this. The first phrase of verse 11 says, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. There's a lot of skepticism about today, about the Lord's return. And I talk to some Christians, and they don't believe it. I've talked to some preachers who have preached on the Lord's return, and they don't really believe it. It's a sermon, but it's not a reality. This is to be the transforming thing for you and me. We're going to see the Lord soon. I began my message there. I want to close there. I'm coming soon. It may be that he'll take us to glory before he returns, but if I read the signs aright, 
it seems to me that the Lord's a lot closer to his return than he was when I was a youngster. And I used to hear the Lord's return preached on all the time, and it scared the life out of me. Because at that time I wasn't a Christian. But one of the things about recognizing that this open door which he sets before us as an expression of his sovereignty is that we recognize that what he says will happen. And one day he's coming. And according to this revelation, it's soon. My grandfather knew a man who was born in 1789. Yeah? My grandfather was born in 1870. But he knew a man who was born in 1789. And now his second generation, his grandson, is in 2017 for the next few hours. And then 2018. And if you add all that, all that up together, you see, within those two generations, my grandfather, myself, and the fact that he knew a man who was born in 1789, time is very short. Yeah? 1789, 1889, 1989, 2017. 230 years. In one man's memory. People say, oh, it's been a long time. Not really. He was coming soon 2,000 years ago. Absolutely. Think how much sooner the sooner is now than it was then. Yeah? And allow this to be the thing which, which dominates our thinking. One day you're going to see him. One day you're going to be with him. One day you're going to talk to him. One day you're going to share with all the other believers who have gone before. And your heart's going to rejoice in a way which I hope is beginning to rejoice now as I close. Going to be with him forever. God bless you. Thank you for all your attention over the last three years. But be inspirational to one another in the days ahead as the Lord gives them to live out this open doorness in our fellowship, in our individual lives. So it will be a blessing to others, God willing, in the days ahead. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, for all your goodness to us, for the blessings we have in the Lord Jesus for your tender care of us, for the clothing that we wear, for the provision that you make for our daily food. We just give you our thanks. We thank you for the open doorness of Christianity. We thank you that it was known as the religion of the open door in the first century. We thank you that hospitality was its watchword. And we pray that anyone who comes through the doors here in the church I just have a real sense of fellowship and friendship that men and women might be one for you in the years ahead in your will. We commit ourselves to you and these tiny lives of ours for which you give you our thanks in your most holy name. Amen.